This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. From hockey to wrestling, football to golf, no sport left unturned. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks very much. And uh, also joining us in studios this morning... Uh, He's, uh, he's been grinding it out for a long time, and uh, the mission is soon coming to an end, but we're getting there. It's Of course, I'm talking about Mike Wilson, the ultimate Leafs fan who's been on the ultimate road trip. Good morning, Mike. How are you this Good morning, morning? guys. Uh, great to be here. And uh, I'd hope it doesn't end soon. <laughs> By the way, I, uh, do you have, uh, in your ultimate road trip, uh, is that going to include the playoffs? Oh, yeah. I'm going to go to every game the Maple Leafs play this year, so we'll see how far that goes. I hope I get close to 100 games. Well, so do we. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at number 75 as of last night, so number 76 tomorrow night. So we, we hope you're crisscrossing the, uh, crisscrossing the country, uh, both countries, come, uh, come playoff time. And for I uh, hope you uh, have keeping your schedule open till the middle of June. Yes, we have. Uh, Debbie's made no plans for us for the next uh, couple of months, and <laughs> Man, any plan yeah. she makes, she just says, Mike, hopefully will not you be must you must have great air miles right now. <laughs> yeah, we haven't. Ca- we're going to count them uh, once it's all done, but we're going to keep track of that. But it's probably going to be thirty-five, forty thousand. Wow. Anyways, so we wish you uh, we wish you uh, significant travel plans in the month of April, May, and June. Yes, and so does most of Leaf Nation. <laughs> so I don't have any problem getting support on that front. I can tell you that. And much. talking about Leaf Nations, we've uh, we've had a couple up and down weeks, guys. Uh, you know, we, 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 you would have thought last night in the Rangers are uh, not uh, not in the thick of any race at all, uh, a little bit down and out. Uh, last time the Leafs took on the Rangers, uh, they uh, they ran into this this goalie, Georgiev, the Bulgarian brick. Well, the Bulgarian brick uh, built a house last night. Uh, they can't seem to solve this guy. Uh, uh, Naz, I'll turn it over to you Similar first. Similar to Zarilla. Where he played in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> so the the Leafs couldn't solve the Bulgarian brick last night, but uh, let, let, let's for a moment forget about uh, how good of a goalie he was. Uh, where do you rank the Leaf effort, and what does that tell us about uh, where we are and where we need to go? The effort the last three games has been pretty good. Nashville, they played okay. Like they were. They you were, were in, in Nashville yeah, for that game. You were in Nashville, so in Nashville for that game. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they played well. They played really well. They ran into a hot goalie then. And uh, who would think that they would, would be short of goals with the team they have? They're not able to score. They, had, they scored four against Buffalo. One was an empty net. And they were lucky to get those three goals bouncing off skates. They haven't been very lucky around the net. Mike, you've, uh, you've obviously uh, watched the ups and downs of the Leafs all year long. I've been at every single game. Um, Last night's game in the uh, in the, based on their uh, uh, previous book for the, uh, the the year up to this date, uh, where does it fit? What did you see last night? Um, your impressions. 
Well, you know, it's tough because I think the thing about it is that the some of the things about the Maple Leafs have become, because they have such a high-powered offense and people expect them to score goals at will, it has become somewhat predictable the way they do things. They do miss, and all the, the Gardner bashers out there, I think, can take <laughs> note, they do miss Gardner because his outlet pass, initial outlet pass, is one of the best in National Hockey League when he does, when he's on his game. Uh, Dermot's grip behind the blue line is also missed. And you can see they're having some trouble getting into their own end in the last little while. And I think that is one of the things that's been evidently clear. And I mentioned the power plays become very predictable. And teams started get, getting onto that back in December when they watched the way they moved this puck. I mean, it's pretty simple to crowd the zone, which is what they do. And there's a lot of block shots when Toronto plays. And the Rangers were hanging on for dear life last night. I mean, it definitely Toronto is the, was the better team. But you run into a hot goalie. But, Mike, you know, I, I keep hearing this thing. We run into a hot goalie. The Leafs are a better team. Um so what? Well, you got to well, well, win hockey games. Well, the point is, is this, is, is the fact that one of the things that's missing is we have made a decision or a conscious decision to, to play with skill rather than brawn. And the skill level that the Toronto Maple Leafs had is probably unmatched for the 12 forwards, never mind the nine forwards in the National Hockey League. But the one ingredient that's missing in the fabric for the buildup of this hockey club is some grit. And that is sorely lacking. And you can see last night when Liberty's being taken with their star players like John Tavares and Austin Matthews, they're getting knocked down at will, cross-checked from behind, or getting stuck. And just if a Tom Wilson was playing on his hockey club, that wouldn't be happening. Yeah, there's only so many Tom Wilsons around. That's the problem. Well, I just use him as the example because he's a guy who's elevated his game. Remember, he scored the overtime goal against Toronto four or three years ago, and everybody thought, where'd this guy come from? Now, all of a sudden, he's the prototype forward. You talk about, uh, you know, uh, Tom Wilson and and the Washington Capitals run to the Stanley Cup last year. I mean, the classic player in, 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 it was Tom Wilson, but, you know, they had had a kid, Devontae Smith-Pelly, who played phenomenal in the playoffs last year. Not the most highly skilled player, but uh, you know he just he know he goes to the net and uh, you can't move him. And um, and I look through the Leafs lineup and they're not built in they that way. More, they were built more last year the way they, their team is set up. They had Matt Martin, Komarov. They had uh, a lot of grit. Well, the, well, the, they didn't use it though. But the idea of hockey clubs is it's pretty simple. Like the 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 the, the, the model that most teams use, and this is what uh, Mike Sullivan used in Pittsburgh was when he spoke to Sidney Crosby was, "Are you my best player?" And when Sidney finally came around to being as modest as he could, admitting that he was the best player, he just basically said to him, "Play like it then." So we don't have to match players. If my best players outplay the other team's best players, we should win. So based on that model, if you get good goaltending and your top six forwards outplay the other top six forwards on the team, which is a given, it's the bottom six that win you Stanley Cups. Sure. And that's the thing to your point, Naz, that I think right now the Toronto Maple Leafs are slightly lacking, and that's the one thing that hopefully doesn't come back to haunt us. John Tavares is their best player right now, and he, he, he is playing. I didn't know he could play with that much grit, sandpaper. He's playing in the corners, back checks. Incredible hockey player. That's the one thing that's most impressed me about him is his game uh, at both ends of the ice. Usually when you get a star player of his caliber, they're all about scoring and they're all about taking the puck. This guy goes and gets it regularly. Maybe and, it's and time Maybe it's time to put the C on him. And he Don't starts taking the pounding. Uh, uh, he is definitely the captain of the team. He is the leader. Interesting. Uh, defense. Uh, obviously, we've missed Gardner. Um, he's been you know, skating, though. Uh, well, I'm, not, I'm not hearing that he's going to be back uh, anytime soon. Uh, Dermot should be back soon. Um, 
obviously the the big criticism of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and this was the initial concern going into the season, was of course the defense. Uh, and, and Mike, you and I had a conversation off the air, and we keep bringing up the uh, Pittsburgh Penguin example <laughs> from a couple of years back. Uh, I'm not so sure this defense is as good as the uh, as the Penguins' defense was a few years back, even the year that Latang was out uh, when they when they won the Stanley Cup. Um, can they hold up in a series against Boston? Because we're getting there, and we're starting the first game in the TD, uh, TD Bank Garden or whatever it's called in Boston, uh, hopefully. Uh, although, uh, you know, <laughs> Leafs better uh, keep their eyes focused. They can't afford a five- or six-game losing streak. Not, uh, not that I'm suggesting that's going to happen. Uh, but they can't afford to uh, mail it in. They've got to still win some hockey games. Yeah, they they need six points to to clinch a uh, clinch third place. And so. uh, I think the Leafs defense, the Leafs defense. Well, you know, the, uh, Eugene made some complaints <laughs> about the Leafs defense too, right? It, it, and he, what he said was he, absolutely he right. You know, and we're going to have that. We're going to have the Melnick discussion. But finish your point, Ness. The Leafs defense uh, isn't as um, good as last year's. Defense, I don't think, because without Gardner, Gardner was the key. He's the key coming out of his, out of their own end. Him and uh, Riley, right? And if Gardner's not there, it's going to be a tough task for sure. Well, the thing about it is, is, is you know, people can sit and beat this team and beat the defense to death, but the fact is. This is what we're dealt with. So what you have to do is you have to make do. And Pittsburgh, I know you and Wally have different views on this, but that Pittsburgh defense was a makeshift defense the first year they won. And I know when I spoke to Rick talking about it uh, midseason, one of the things they tried to do was to prep themselves with the playoffs is you have the forwards have to buy in. So the forwards have to be back. The forwards have to cover their assignments. The forwards have to execute. And the forwards have to be there, and they have to take the odd man. It's a very simple game. And the simple game has not changed in 100 years. Number one, don't let your guy score when you're on the ice. And number two, hope you chip one in. And the third and the most important thing of all this is you have to have the goaltending. And when Pittsburgh won, Murray stood on his head. The forwards bought in and they came back. And he had all their bottom six guys were buying into this program as well. And they were doing their jobs. So the Toronto Maple Leafs have the ability to do that. And if they expect to advance, they're going to have to. And if they do, and that's what Mike Babcock's been preaching since the day he walked in the door, how the game changes and elevates when you move into the second season, which is the playoffs. Well, certainly, uh, and we're getting there. And uh, talking about Mike Babcock, uh, got a couple of minutes before we go to break. Um, uh, the uh, media decided to uh, to uh, raise the, the uh, specter of a potential Mike Babcock-Kyle Dubas rift uh, this week. Um, uh, Babcock went on uh, went on uh, media fairly quickly to try and squelch that, um, but I'm not so sure that story is going to completely go away. Um, and as uh, Kyle Dubas, Mike Babcock, when that relationship uh, got put together, uh, I sort of got a sense, man, that's going to be a tough one. Um, you got a young, uh, to be fair. NHL inexperienced general manager uh, had a really good run with the Toronto Marlies, and we were not critical when the Toronto Maple Leafs hired Kyle Dubas. We thought it was a progressive move. Uh, some of his moves uh, seem to have been uh, applauded, um, but a coach of Mike Babcock's 
um, reputation. Uh, I'm sure he's got a certain way of looking at things, and you've got to think at some point in time there'd be a little bit of friction in that. Uh, is this overdone, Naz, and we can forget about it? It's, it's, a, it's the Toronto media, Wally. It is overdone for sure. I'm sure they, they have their issues, but they everybody, everybody, everybody at work has issues with everything. It's a normal day of, day of life, right? And I don't, I don't think there's a big issue there. Now, when Babcock came here and he's making $8 million, who would you say had the uh, power, Babcock or Dubas? Well, Babcock came here first, so uh, $8 million is an unprecedented amount of money and an unprecedented term. So they, they, uh, I guess if this is a, if this is a, using a poker analogy, if this is Texas Hold'em, they, uh, they went all in on, on Mike Babcock. There's no question. Well, of course they did. But, you know, I mean, you know what? It's so what the general manager doesn't get along with the coach. And it, it's all this nonsense last year about not getting along with some of the players. I mean, you think Scotty Bowman was well-loved by all the players? They couldn't stand him. And, you know, and Jimmy Dabalano, these guys are putting fires out all the time in Montreal. So the bottom line is, do you think these guys are out there? No, this drives me crazy when I hear this. Do you think the two of them are there sitting in room thinking, how can we screw this team up? You know, they both have the same objective, and that's to win. And as long as they win, who cares whether they have coffee together or they sit and talk every day? It doesn't matter. And, you know, and I was, I was on Bay Street for 40 years, and you can't have any bigger egos than the guys you work with in that business. I mean, it's absolutely mind-boggling what goes on. But the bottom line, what makes it work is the fact that people have an opinion. If you exercise your opinion and you can back it up, people have to listen to you because otherwise, you know what it is? Somebody, somebody's patronizing somebody, and that's never going to be a winning foreman if you do that. So to all this stuff with uh, Mike and uh, and Kyle not getting along, who cares? They're looking for a story. Who cares? Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I mean, Mike Bab- Babcock, you know, it's it's obvious, you know, he's got an ego, and I would expect it. I would. I would good. You want and that. Good. He's got the, the highest confidence of himself. Kyle Dubas seems to be like, uh, you know, really, really bright, uh, progressive general manager. Yeah, I would think there'd be a little bit of friction, but I think, think at the end of it, they sit down and Bab- Babcock makes his views known and Dubas makes his views known and, you know, they work some kind of resolution to the problem. Well, do you want that's some what, that's to, what two bright guys do. Do you want some right? guy to sit there and just tell no, the No, absolutely not. What drives an ego? Yeah. Winning. Absolutely. So they want to win. Yeah. Yeah, so, so if he's uh, got to push him to do his job better, to get him better players, uh, so be it. This, uh, you know, I, I don't know. must have been a slow, uh, snow, slow news week amongst <laughs> the trial. This, this must have bubbled up before we got, before we got Melnick through the, through the, through the, Mary. Uh, Eugene, if you're listening, please, no offense, don't take offense. But uh, it's almost like there was a couple of dead, dead air days and they had to dig that one up. We've got to go to break. And going back to your point, you said nobody likes Scotty Bowman, the the best, the best, one of the best quotes I ever heard in sports was the one that Steve Shutt used to make, which was, uh, "We hated Scotty Bowman 364 days of the year, and the 365th day we won the Stanley Cup." <laughs> Anyways, on that note, let's go to break. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we received this letter. My marriage is in a rut. Can you help us spice things up? Yes. Get the gourmet special. Two medium gourmet pizzas for just $24.99. He loves Canadian bacon, so he'll order a deluxe. She can order the Italian, because she loves the hot Italian sausage. Everyone's happy. Pizzaville Stone Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. 
There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. Downtown, if you're listening... You can tune us in on 96.7 FM on the internet, live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. In studio with us this morning, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Uh, always a pleasure to have you back here, Mike Wilson. Mike, uh, we got to catch up with you a little bit. Uh, the uh, We haven't had you in here in a while, and mm-hmm. uh, you've been uh, tell our listeners where they can you where they can uh, type in on their computer, where they can catch up. You've got a blog going. You've got a website keeping us all up to speed. Uh, tell us all about that and a uh, couple of couple of good uh, stories from the last the last few weeks in some of the towns you've been. Nashville, obviously a great place. You were in. Uh, uh, you were in the island when Tavares went back for that game. Uh, they tailgate in Carolina, from what I understand. Tell us, uh, tell us some great memories of your trip. Well, there's so much. I mean, uh, so much to talk about. The Long Island one is, is was the wildest one I've seen because, and I mean, they targeted him right from the bat, uh, from the from the get go on, on Tavares. I've never heard anything like it. Now, the Nassau Coliseum is a small arena to begin with. It only holds thirteen and a half thousand. It's a low roof. So the sound just hangs in there, and they do, they they tailgate there because there is nothing. I mean, you think that Ottawa has it rough in Canada. This that makes it look like Midtown Manhattan compared to where <laughs> this Long Island arena is. It's brutal. So they're all tailgating in the parking lot, and they're all getting themselves juiced up for the game. And it was just crazy what was going on. And then inside, once they stepped on the ice, I've never heard anything like it, and didn't stop. For it. And the funniest thing is the way fans are. I remember the guys beside me, they came two-fisted, and they were going the whole game screaming out. And when the score was 4-1, the guy, they didn't know how to take me because I'm ultimately fan stuff on. So they looked at me, and I, I remember saying to the one guy, I looked at him, I said, you know, let me ask you something. And he said, What's that? He said, is anybody in this arena? And I said it jokingly, of course, because these are big guys. Anybody in this arena read a newspaper in the last month? <laughs> and he kind of looked at me with a funny look, and I said, you, do, you are aware the honors are in first place. They're ahead of the Leafs. 
you do have probably one of the best coaches in National Hockey, if not the best coach in National Hockey League. And you have an iconic general manager who's only going to make this team better. And he looked at me with this puzzled look in his face. I just thought to myself, exactly. So that was a, a great experience. Uh, you know, Nashville is the best stop on the National Hockey League circuit. Uh, it's better than Vegas, which has become too Hollywood, I guess, if you will, and too corporate and too much like a high-end resort and very expensive, where Nashville's down-home cooking and, and music and the fans and you feel relaxed and it's a very upbeat atmosphere the arena is great they've got great chance there it's a, a great vibrant chance. arena yeah, the chance are fantastic and, and it's and it's friendly environment they're very respectful of uh, out opposing teams and out-of-town fans so it's it was a wonderful experience to go to nashville and i can't wait to go back there again deb if you're listening that's where you'll be going there next year uh, out west, one of the things that we started this journey was to find out what it is about Maple Leafs and the passion for this hockey cup that runs so deep in the fabric of Canadians. And it's no more evident than it is in Western Canada. I heard all kinds of various stories in Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver that ranged from what I really suspected it was. And it's just this generation of passing from generation to generation of the passion for the Maple Leaf hockey team, either it be from a father, a grandfather, or a great-grandfather. I heard stories of uh, people you know, the only channels you could get on TV would maybe be two or three channels, and they would CBC be one of them. So they'd watch the hockey game on Surrey Night for entertainment. And this is, I met a 33-year-old kid that had this. And this kid, Kurt Stevenson, who was all dressed out with the hair, and you got to go to our website to see this guy. And he has a whole basement done in Maple Leafs. But they couldn't afford cable. And he watched four channels, and one of them, the Maple Leaf game was on. He fell in love with the team as a kid, and he's just a diehard today. And I heard that story over and over again from different people. There was a chap I met in Calgary that was from Saskatoon. He was 61 years old. His name was Ed Guter. And he cheered for the Maple Leafs for 55 years. He has never seen the team play live. For, wow. for whatever reasons, <clears throat> affordability, uh, opportunity, never got a chance to see the team. His brother flew him from Toronto to surprise him with tickets at the game. And here's this 61-year-old man sitting in Cowboys in Calgary telling me this story about going to the game in a couple hours. And he's got tears streaming down his face of joy Amazing. and a smile from ear to ear. And mm. I ran into situations like that over and over again. And for me, it's just overwhelming. And I try to relay these things back to Deb. And Deb is answering, like the Instagram that she's doing at home, she's, she's working this like the whole game and it doesn't stop coming from Leaf fans, asking questions and telling stories. And just... The out outreach that people come to me with and telling their stories and sharing their experiences, Maple Leaf fans, has just been overwhelming. And I do write a column for the Toronto Sun that goes when they, but it's pretty busy, so I do get bumped <laughs> a little bit. But it's online if you want to find it. And I do get some help from my good friend, Lance Hornby, who makes it readable. <laughs> uh, we do have a, our website is the Ultimate Leafs Fan on Instagram if you want to follow us, if you would, please. And also, Ultimate Fan Road Trip is our hashtag. So you can find us at that. But I, people are reaching out. Tell me your story. We'll try and get it out to Leaf Nation. But 75 games... We've got seven games left. Uh, it's been an unbelievable experience. Uh, it's been way above my expectations. I know I said it a couple of times already, but you've heard all kinds of stories from people just telling you about just growing up, loving the team. And this is a team that has not won in over 50 years. And people still, and I think, unlike a team like Chicago or Boston, they had, it's, it's kind of ironic that they have two of the most iconic venues that, that are attractions in themselves with Wrigley and Fenway. And those two teams now, if you think about it, they were the lovable losers for years and years and years and years and years. Now they're just two good ball clubs 
Well, I think the opposite. If Toronto wins, I think it'll become infectious. And I think this team, will be, it'll accelerate even more because there's a whole generation of Leaf fans that are just on the hinge of whether they really want to be all in in this hockey club or they're just cheering it because dad and grandpa cheered for the team. So I think that's a, another whole level that this team can go to. And I just think it'll just explode. How do you find the, uh, the, the road trips? You must find it very tiring. I don't because... You know, I'll be honest, I'm sitting around in airports and stuff like that. I mean, that's not great, but I do spend time writing, trying to write and, and, and hone my skills a little bit on that on that front, but keeping notes. But what inspires me is the minute I walk into a rank and I get notes from Deb at home that this person wants to meet you, what section you're going to be at, and I meet this person, and people are, are so excited to not just to meet me, but to hear my experiences, what I've found on the road, it just inspires me to keep going. So you've uh, seen them play at home and away. What's the difference in their play? Seems like away they play much better than they do. At well, home. they play because they're they're more defensively responsible on the road, and they seem to. They, and even it's funny because they don't have that last change. So what happens is the players have to up their game a little bit, and they, they've been a terrific road team this year. Uh, they they what they do is they just seem to wait, and and it's almost like they're much more relaxed because at home the expectations are so high that it's almost like these players read the paper, they watch the newscast, they know what's going on, they know what people are thinking of them, and they they know all of that stuff. And if they tell you they don't, they're lying to you. <laughs> so on the road, that it's not quite as as you know dominant, but. Think about this. When you go into a hockey rink and you're a player coming on the ice for the pregame warm-up and you're in Columbus on a Friday night and all of a sudden from the center ice line to behind your net is 15 rows deep of blue and white sweaters. That's got to put a little <laughs> juice in your step, sure let me does. tell you. And yeah, you go to Buffalo, it's around the whole circus. I don't count Buffalo or Montreal, but when you're going into Anaheim and you're, there's pockets of sections of Maple Leaf there, fans. Is, is, do you find, uh, and I've, I've been, it's a criticism without a solution. Um, do you find the atmosphere to watch? I, I just find the atmosphere to watch hockey games in most other hockey arenas in the in uh, in the NHL a better atmosphere than Toronto. You're, I, I want to, I want you to uh, assess that. Well, my thought on that is just what I've just mentioned yeah. a, sec, a, a minute before was the fact that the expectations in Toronto, every Toronto fan, including me, who walks into the rink every night down at Scotiabank Arena expects a win. So if they do get behind, it's all of a sudden, oh, boy. What's is, there, is, there, is there really a difference? Toronto's, yes. The criticism of Toronto has always been the crowd's too corporate. I don't necessarily find that in other arenas. Oh, well, your, your, your sense? Well, it doesn't because you don't have the same type of um, uh, uh, corporate structure in a lot of these arenas. I mean, you're not going to get that Long Island. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to get that in Columbus. You're certainly not going to get it in a place like uh, Florida or Tampa but or, or even Pittsburgh to a degree. But... The, the idea there is one thing I've noticed, though, is that the other team's fans sitting in the Prudential Center in New Jersey, there's a team that has no hope of making playoffs, yep. but I'm, I always sit in the upper reaches of the arenas. Mm-hmm. And the fans up there, they're passionate about these teams, and they love the game, and they love their team, and they're there diehard cheering for their teams. So you have that combined with the Leaf fans coming in from out of town, so it makes it very interesting. It makes it a very emotional, but a very vibrant and a very exciting Event. Do you find that in Toronto? Uh, in Toronto, it's much different. In Toronto, again, I keep coming back to that word, expectations. People expect them to win. So it's a much different crowd. You have a corporate crowd. that are, Like the last couple of games that we've been to, it sounded like the back in the 80s. Things were pretty quiet. You could almost hear the guy from the graves screaming down to the guys at ice level. So there is... This little cloud overhanging the hockey club at this point that people are expecting the worst. The funniest guys I've seen are the guys with the helmets on Thursday <laughs> in Buffalo. That was incredible. 
Oh, those guys, uh, they were great. Well, Wednesday, sorry, Wednesday. Well, there was another group of guys I met, this hockey team, they were called the Huskies. And they're, they're from out of uh, Etobicoke. These guys showed up. They had, you know, those masks they wear with the players' faces, like, you yeah. know, they do. Mm-hmm. The, the, they, they had the whole team, the Maple Leaf team, but each guy had his own face with a Leaf sweater on. And they were, they, these guys were on one section. So those, and I, the, the night in Buffalo, I saw the guys uh, with the dress like Kiss from head to toe. Exact outfits, Boney was all done in blue and white with maple leaf sweaters. I think I saw a Dave Dunn helmet. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of. Uh, I mean, you, you run into all kinds of crazy getups. And one guy, I, I the one guy I met in uh, Edmonton, this guy had the f- a painted face. He was by himself, and he looked. He'd make Keith Ledger's Joker <laughs> like second to none because the big, huge teeth. But it was all maple leaf. But they're everywhere. Vancouver, the Regal Beagle, all maple leaf bar. And the guy started, the guy was from Oakville, eight years he went out there, and what he did was he decided to have a spot so he could watch a team play. It started with a dozen people, now the place is, you know, wall to wall, hundreds of fans go, and if the, they all go to the game en masse when the Leafs play, when they win... If they win the game, it's standing room only to get in after the game. Wow. Anyway, so there's the the the, the, the big story in hockey, uh, which uh, filtered into Toronto this week. Uh, we we sort of started it last Sunday, <laughs> although uh, uh, Eugene Melnick got criticized uh, vehemently uh, uh, this week. Uh, started off with uh, an interview on uh, McCowan show Primetime Sports. Then the next day he was on Bill Carroll in Ottawa. And uh, then the headline started. Uh, he was creating carnage. He was leaving carnage in his wake, according to one headline. Uh, he rips the Leafs on their rebuild. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we had Eugene on the show last Sunday here. Uh, we're not in the TSN Sportsnet orbit, so that sort of got lost in, uh, in the shuffle because Eugene got criticized for talking to the Toronto media well he started off with us last Sunday and but uh, he was he was fairly well restrained on our show uh, I wanted to talk about his his new concussion uh, venture uh, but uh, Eugene uh, got himself in a little hot water as he's prone to do my assessment Mike is you know I think the media was a little bit over the top on uh, going after Eugene. I listened to his Bill Carroll interview twice. Um, it was about 20 minutes long. I thought Eugene behaved himself in that interview. And sorry, Eugene, I, for the, but I, I thought you were fairly reasonable, uh, except for a couple of things he waded into territory perhaps he shouldn't have waited. But that's Eugene. And you, knew, you know Eugene as well, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't think he left carnage in his wake. Um, probably shouldn't have mentioned the Leafs in some of his comments and should have kept those comments at a very general level. Although I didn't disagree with anything he said about the Leafs, but, you know, as an NHL owner, uh, perhaps you shouldn't comment on other teams. And then he, he was accused of calling a reporter Bush leak. It's not exactly what he said. Uh, although I don't want to parse and I don't want to split hairs. He was criticizing a particular uh, method that the reporter was using that brought up in the interview whereby he was going to play a tape recording of an irate fan. And Eugene called that particular uh, interview technique Bush leak. Uh, Reasonable people can have a reasonable debate about that. I wouldn't have personally used the word Bush leak. Uh, I may have used the word inappropriate, 
or uh, uh, words a little bit softer and a little bit perhaps more professional, a little bit more dignified. But he didn't he didn't call the reporter Bush League, just his tactic. I may be splitting hairs. I don't think I am. And then everybody went nuts on Eugene. The press across the entire country. Uh, Sid on the Tim and Sid show called him, called his comments ignorant, that he put an arena on Mars. He actually didn't put the arena on Mars. Uh, uh, Sid, uh, he inherited that arena. And don't ever call out anybody in our industry. So the media circled the wagons. And is that fair, guys? I mean, they're entitled to criticize him, but he can't criticize back. The mayor's entitled to take shots at Eugene publicly, but he gets criticized if he takes shots back. Is that fair? No, it's not. And uh, what Eugene said about the Leafs, everybody's been saying. Yeah, but he's... Yeah, and as, but, but, but an owner is not expected yeah, to talk about. He shouldn't he, be talking he, about other teams in a in a very specific sense. Uh, he was trying to make the point: you got to be careful about your cap, and 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 if you go and invest too much money in one area, you're going to leave it weak in another area. He could have made if that you, point. If you listen to our podcast, by yeah. the way. Uh, Eugene was very high, high of praise for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was and said, said that they were a contender, he was, yeah, a Stanley he Cup was, contender. Yeah, he was. He uh, he praised the Leafs on our show last Sunday, but you know he got. He, I guess you know he, he got a question that he deflected. He could have answered that question without without mentioning the Leafs. And I, I personally, I think it's inappropriate for one owner to make a comment on another organization. He could have made the same point in a different way. Is that leaving carnage in his wake? I mean, come on. Well, there is a there's an old saying that says that goes to as the following: clean up your own backyard before you start worrying about your neighbors. Exactly. And he has an issue already because we hear all these excuses about you know LeBreton and he's fighting with the guys. They're in but the he lawsuits. is fighting with them. But it's it's ridiculous. And but whose a, fault is it? Do we really know whose fault? We don't all know that whose is? fault it is. But the problem is, as an owner, you got to keep your mouth shut. You cannot be out talking to the press, making comments about. Uh, making, but then he gets criticized for not talking. to to the press. But he shouldn't be speaking to the well, because he always has spoke to the press, but making yeah. these asinine comments that he made this week, it's just... Which, it's, which comment do you find asinine? Talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs defense. Why would you... You've never heard another owner... See, and this is the whole problem. I agree, I agree with your point there. He should not... He could have made that point. He was trying to make a point about how to spend money. Well, I saw but him don't a, drag the Leafs into it. I saw him on another show also where he started talking about uh, why he didn't sign these players because they're 20, 27 years old or seven years. They're going to be mid-30s and they're not going to be worth their weight at that time. And so he wanted to save his money for the 15 draft picks he's got coming up and all this other nonsense he talked about. And he was going to save his money for that. Well, first off, you've got a public persona that is actually at zero or maybe below zero. They've had billboards up there trying to get rid of you. You've got, you know, websites coming out. The, the but is media. that, you know, but the other... The, the, it doesn't matter the, how it happens, Wally. It uh, no, no, I get it that. But, but the counter argument is, the counter argument is, does that necessarily reflect the views of all Ottawa Senators fans? Or is that a vocal... Minority well, I can or, tell you, or I majority to, or whatever. When Mike Clutchman went to Ottawa and Deb and I were up there and we were yeah. working with them, we said to these guys, "Are you going? Why because, you Because do, I don't even read Twitter. I mean, if, you, if you, yeah, go ahead. They had a, they had a hockey exhibit up there that we were a part of, and we discussed it with the people, the curators at the museum about. Well, now, hopefully, you're going to hook something up with Ottawa, the Senators, and they just shook their heads. So oh, they do nothing with us. When I did interviews in the, in the media up there with the collection, I talked to a lot of the media guys, and I knew a couple of guys, and they talked to me. They just his his 
perception or perception of Eugene from these guys is just basically zero. They can't stand the guy. He doesn't live in Ottawa. He doesn't go to games in Ottawa. He sits at Bart's and watches the game. And that's his prerogative. He's the owner. But he doesn't do anything to help his public persona with the public. And doing all these things, he's dug himself into a hole. And they on and on excuse about Canada being too far out. That's nonsense. Yeah, People, but in, in the latest interviews, in the latest interviews he's done, if, if the LeBreton Flats deal is done. You think really he's that's going to make point, a difference? He, I don't know if it's going to make a difference, but he's now he's now saying, look, we can make it work in Canada. You think so? I have no idea financially. They were goalposts from going to Stanley Cup two years ago, and they, they didn't sell the rink but out. What Mike, Canadian Mike rink and, uh, blocks off and, seats and, in the upper bowls and we, of the we've, we've, had, uh, we've had our own little uh, yeah. Facebook uh, little I don't, I don't back and forth. Should, I don't think Ottawa can support an NHL. The team can't be there. You're, you're, be there. You're, in, you're in a government yeah, city. But, okay, okay. Now you've raised a really interesting point. Are you saying that the team can't make it in Ottawa, or Eugene Melnick can't make it in Ottawa? Both. Both. So then why? Then you know what? Definitely. The so why are you? So, so, why, so, so why, here's the point. Yeah. So why is he going publicly saying that he's going to turn his team around when you can't even sell a team out or a rink out? You know what? I'm convinced, in- Mike. I'm convinced. Uh, forget about the run two years ago, uh, which sort of came from nowhere. Um, there's there's nothing in a, a, a cup. Uh, you, you put together a, an exciting young winning team, and that, that this rebuild. They had that. This rebuild actually turns around. Uh, you'll get a much different they had reaction. That when was there. They did, and they still yeah. couldn't sell the rink. Well, rank. then you so know here's what? the thing is then, then maybe Eugene should be thinking about taking his team somewhere else. What about people that live in which Aurora? he got criticized for? What about people that live? In, then do it. Don't don't give them one line of nonsense and then come back with the counter argument. Because he's trying that, to make it work here. What about in Toronto? People live in Aurora. People live in Oshawa. I live in Pickering and Whitby. That's forty minutes to yeah, downtown but, Toronto. But it public transit's a little bit different. So the whole in point too. is, you're dealing in a you got in, go deal- trains and subways. It doesn't matter. Sure, it does. They've got bus routes there. Yeah. They go right from straight. They have an express bus that goes right to the rink from downtown and about but ten different stops. Toronto and Ottawa are two different markets. It totally is. And yeah. that's the thing. The team will not survive there because the thing about it in that market is you have a civil servant basically uh, environment with a very limited and they have a capped uh, disposable income. There's no corporate sponsorship there since the tech crash back in early 2000. So who's going to support this team and who's going to spend almost a billion dollars to build I, a rink? Then, then if I was Eugene Melnick, uh, if that's in fact true, then uh, you know well, I, I, I got to figure out how to get the team out of Ottawa. So, so the right? idea is that he's got no obligation to stay there and lose money in perpetuity. But the, the NHL is, holds the cards here. Of they course, don't they hold the cards. Absolutely, that's the thing, right? Well, well no, there's but, two parties that hold the cards. The NHL number one because they control yeah. the location of the yeah. franchise. Exactly. And you, whether we like whether people in Ottawa want to admit it or the mayor or the his business partners, Eugene Melnick owns a franchise, and the NHL ain't taking it away from him. Oh, he can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he Look wants. Look at with Winnipeg. But right? the Thomp- all of a sudden, the Thompson family got involved. Yeah. So you're dealing. You're you're going to listen. You're going to a poker game with yeah. guys who have deep pockets, and you're going there with your mortgage money. It's a little tough to compete when you're operating on a salary cap at the minimum. How are you going to compete in the National Hockey League against billionaires who are owners? You know, so uh, you know the whole point right away. They're one step. It really behind depends the game on what Eugene's end game is. You know, he, well, his he, end game is to put it. How are you going to compete? He's got to make money in Ottawa. He's got to sell out. But he's got his, to be able to spend his, the money. His lifeline, apparently, for the last three, four years, has been LeBreton Flats. That's now apparently off off the table for in 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 the interim period he's 
Apparently, he's talking to some other five-star developers, as he calls them in Toronto, real estate developers. Uh, is he going to be able to resuscitate that deal? Perhaps yes, perhaps no. You've made the point that you think people are going to wait him out. I don't think that strategy is going to work. I don't think. Well, they can't take the team away from. I, the I think team. number one, you, I don't think he, you know Eugene's not the type of guy you can push around. Number one, and number one, he's is second in these negotiations. He's got the most valuable asset to leverage in in any redevelopment plan, which is the NHL franchise. He's got that, and they're not taking it away from him. So he does have bargaining leverage if he has the financial wherewithal to see it through. And but, I have no reason to doubt that he does But that's the question. Now, do they have the financial wherewithal I, to, I have, to compete at this I, level? I'm not going to speculate on Eugene Melnick's financial wherewithal. Well, just look at the players he's trying to sign. He operates right at the minimum right now. Uh, he can't sign anybody. And what are they going to do? But those are, Mike, those are hockey decisions. Uh, you know, Every indication would be that those players weren't going to resign with Ottawa. So you had to move them to get some, to, you know, the season's lost. These guys aren't coming back. I've got to think the agents, I've got to think Mark Stone, the agent, and Duchesne's agent said, look, we're not resigning here. Get what you can for us on the, on, uh, on, uh, on the market. And Dorian did the best job he could to get whatever assets he could because those guys weren't coming back so how do you for whatever that? reason. How do you and I don't think to... it was money. Okay, they weren't so, coming back from, so because to, of money. To that point then, how do you, how do you sell that to the public? Well, that's the tough that part. That you can't afford to keep a player, yet you we know, want the you only, to spend the only $200 way to sell Sell that to the public, and you're not selling it overnight. You're not selling that overnight. If they buy into this rebuild, and they're not going to buy into it until they, this is Missouri. You got to show me. They're not buying back. They want to see results. I can't. Yeah, Toronto bought in. Right. Ottawa fans want to see results before they're gonna before they're gonna buy into it. And if they get results, if this rebuild actually works, and they create a young, exciting, competitive team. Then the then then the the train gets turned and it goes start going back in the other direction. I don't know. I mean, again, we come back. They've had teams like this in the past and they still couldn't survive. They didn't support it. And Ottawa's not an NHL franchise. He shouldn't be. Well, that, a, that's a debate. He should. Yeah. They should move then, that team to. Play. Now, if you get a rich owner, that then goes if in there, if it's not an NHL, you know what? If it's not an NHL franchise, then the Ottawa fans should be patting Eugene Melnick on the back. If it's not an NHL franchise, and so not criticizing him. Yeah, but but who's going to step up and spend, as I just said earlier, a billion dollars on well, a hockey Well, apparently he had, a, he had some partners that were, well, not to buy the hockey team, but they had some partners that were willing to do a significant real estate development with him in LeBreton Flats. That's in litigation now. Well, they had it, was over, it, was, it was more than <laughs> billions of dollars, but if somebody was investing billions of dollars there, they were gambling on Eugene Melnick and, his, and the viability of that franchise. They were. Because well, you end up, that franchise goes bankrupt or whatever, and what are you going to do with that arena afterwards? So are you going to be able to bring in, so the idea of most of these ranks are, are the survival is the added attractions that go along with the is. hockey That's club. The way it, well, yeah. here you have a basketball team, and you also have rock concerts and so on that perform. So are people in Ottawa are going to be of the... You know, of of the financial wherewithal to be able to That's afford really to pay three hundred dollars to go and see the Eagles, probably two, not, probably and not buy but, their hockey tickets. But but apparently, a lot of guys with a lot of money were making that bet. Well, that was they were making back, that bet way back. Yeah, it's exactly. But way back when there was a tech world there back in yeah. early two thousand. Yes, you could probably get away with that. But now, because you, you've seen the plans on the LeBreton development, it's a multi billion dollar development. Well, and also, as I told you before, I've done a little bit of work on economic impact of a sports franchise on a city, which is usually negligible or zero. 
And in a city like that, where you do have people with probably a cap on disposable income, they're only going to spend so much money on entertainment. So if you're bringing these added venues or these added uh, attractions, where's the money going to come Anyways, from? Anyways, guys, I, I got to apologize. Oh, sorry. I, I'd love to talk about this to the end of the show. We've got to go to break, and we've got about five minutes with Sean Clement uh, when he gets back, and hopefully we can get a couple of minutes of Blue Jays talk before we, before we wrap it up. But we'll be right back. It was a rainy day in Pizzaville when I realised that, unlike pizza, you can enjoy Pizzaville's authentic Panzerotti with just one hand. Pizzaville and its entities, owned in whole or in part, have no interest in knowing what you do with your other hand while you're consuming one of our Panzerotti. Seriously. Get two authentic Italian Panzerotti with cheese and sauce for just ten forty nine. One for each hand. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. Bridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome the show. Uh, welcome to the show our golf guy, Sean Clement. Sean, I understand you're in Charlotte this morning. Uh, unfortunately, we've run over time, so we're going to catch up with you really, really quickly. Uh, bring us up to speed on the world of Sean Clement. <laughs> good morning, guys. How you doing? Oh, just, uh, I got a, good, good. I got a good, nice, neat little school down here for this week, and uh, been heading back up to uh, our winter academy in Quebec City, and that's uh, that's been going fantastic. Um. We were uh, we were just rated by GolfThis.com uh, as the number six on the top ten list of instructional YouTube channels in the world. So oh wow! Uh, Congrats! That's pretty cool. That yeah. is that's phenomenal for uh, for a little guy from Canada to be number six in the world in the in in golf instruction. That's phenomenal achievement. Congratulations, Sean. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, tell us, uh, wisdom in golf is still going strong and. Uh, uh, where where can people yeah, find our, you there? Our, our facility at Richmond Hill is still going great. Uh, Paul Davies and Donna Norman are uh, are still operating our school there. 
uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, get, you know, any of you guys uh, getting ready for spring? Now's the time. Go go and see the gang over there. And um, and uh, we're doing the same thing in uh, in Quebec City. What's uh, what's new and exciting in the golf world, Sean? Well, I mean, uh, did you guys uh, hear about um, uh, the the first PGA Tour player uh, that uh, that was just suspended for marijuana use? <laughs> no, actually, tell us that story. I, I that must that that missed my radar screen, Sean. Let's hear about that. Well, I mean, it's um, you know, the, the, there's obviously they started screening for drugs on the PGA Tour and. My wife and I were were having a chuckle. We're listening to uh, PGA Tour radio, and um, uh, you know the the the, the screenings. Uh, you know they're talking about well, marijuana in the in the U.S. and some states is now a, a legal substance and all that. And and we're going well. Benadryl is a legal sub- substance as well. And you know my son who's in BMX, we're, who we're seeing this week for uh, for a major race. Uh, there are a lot of legal, you know, over-the-counter substances that you can buy at the pharmacy that are banned for sports because they enhance performance. And obviously marijuana is a, is a fantastic calming agent. And so if, uh, you know, you're going, to, you're going to use, even though it's a legal substance in, in, uh, in, in states now, uh, it has nothing to do with, uh, with sports performance. Uh, and so we, we really see that, um, you know, the PGA Tour is, is quite behind the times as far as their their attitude towards it you know and um, the awareness of it yeah I mean, I, I, it's rare that i find people suggesting that uh uh, uh marijuana was is uh, would actually enhance an athletic performance but uh, uh may steady the nerves a bit but i'm not so sure how all that's going to be good for your judgment in terms of which which club to hit or where to hit the ball on the course uh, but you know everybody's sensitive to these uh, to these types of issues nowadays, Sean. So I guess that's where the PGA goes. I I, I want to give uh, you an opportunity to uh, give our listeners a sense that golf season's about to start uh, to get their games in gear to start the season, Sean. Uh, what they what should they be concentrating on? Well, I mean uh, it's it's getting the cobwebs off, obviously, but you want to you want to see. Uh, who you're bringing to the dance this year, and so uh, you know there's there's some some nice uh, some nice preps uh, to go about things, and uh, we we have a wonderful premium channel now uh, for Wisdom and Golf Premium. So if you go to wisdomandgolf.com, you'll see our premium channel there, and we have our off-season training series that's in there, and it's a great way to get ready for the season. There's a 20 part series in there that takes you from uh, A to Z. Uh, to get your game sharpened up, so I mean, for five bucks a month, it's a, it's a fantastic tool. I, I just want to I want to comment on that, uh, Sean, because then, uh, as as Bob McCown says, time is our enemy. Uh, unfortunately, we're running out of time today. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to comment. Uh, you know, it's been five years we've been on the air next Sunday, and you've been a big part of our show uh, for the entire five years. I want to take the opportunity of thanking you for the contributions that you've made to our show over the years. Uh, I want to thank you for the contributions you've made to my golf game over the years. And I'll, I'll only leave it, I'll only uh, it's, it's leave it, th- honor. Yeah, I'll leave it this way. Uh, if you're passionate about golf, if you want to improve your golf game, check this guy out, Sean Clement. There's nobody, nobody better 
He's got great material. He's got the best material on YouTube you could ever find. He's got a fantastic website, Wisdom and Golf. Uh, you can check out his school at the Richmond Hill Golf Learning Center. And if you're ever in Quebec City, he's now the director of golf at the Royal Royal Quebec Club. Sean, we've got to let you go. We'll get you back. Uh, I just want to say thanks so much for all your contributions. Oh, my pleasure, man. It's uh, It's been an honor, and uh, I'm so happy for you guys. I hear you've got some fantastic ratings, too, and keep it up, man. It's uh, it's always fun listening to you when I need to know what's going on in the sports world in Toronto. Yeah, we're the little engine that could, Sean. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> Take care, right, my friend. Later, guys. Let's catch up right. soon. Anyway, Sean Clement, and uh, I, I, when, I, when I say he's... Marijuana on the PGA <laughs> Anyways, guys, we're having a, we're having a heated discussion uh, earlier. Let's follow up, and it's the Jays this week. So, uh, uh, Naz, you're wearing your Jays pullover. Uh, we're talking about uh, management and uh, questionable management. Ottawa Senators, which I don't uh, reasonable people can disagree on that, but the Blue Jays have come under a lot of criticism for how they've been uh, managing the team. Uh, guys, I'll turn it over to your guys. Your thoughts. Well, it's. I think one of the things we could <clears throat> touch on is the fact that look at the consistency of what how this all starts. And again, as I mentioned before, my career on Bay Street, one of the things that uh, a predominant or a critical thing to look at a company is management, and that's the first and foremost thing you look at. Did they have skin in the game? Their approach, and so on and so forth. Um, it's the same thing applies to, to sports franchises. Look at the most successful sports franchises, and they have great, strong management. Look what we went through here for 20-some-odd years with Harold Ballard and Steve Stavros and so on with poor, weak, incompetent management. And look at the consistency of the teams we're discussing today, Ottawa, the Toronto Blue Jays, and you can even throw the Edmonton Oilers in there with, with what's gone on this week with Bob Nicholson with those stupid comments he made about one of his players. A player scoring 10 or 12 goals or we'd be in the playoffs. I mean, a, a 10-year-old wouldn't say that. But again, it all starts right there with management. And to me, that's the f- most critical thing that people miss. Spend your money on that and the rest will fall into place. You, you know, it's, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs since Brendan Shannon's been put in charge and the way they pay attention to detail and they look after the little things. And that's a sign of a good organization. And you can see the results on the ice. And the Blue Jays now, I mean, look what, like, it's just a joke what's gone on with this hockey club since these two guys have been brought in. The baseball club. You mean. The baseball club. It's a joke. Yeah, you know they're in a situation they, that that uh, they went all in back in fifteen and sixteen. They didn't. Uh, they didn't get the promised World Series, and it's going to be. And it's tough because they had some contracts there that were not movable. So they're kind of handcuffed in what they're doing. So. I want to give them a little time with, with this team and no, see but, where they're at. But no, but my problem with this is that you have Ross Higgins coming out and saying uh, a year ago that the, the premier shortstop was missing from their lineup, and that was one of the faults in their lineup, along with the third baseman, uh, who sadly have to say <clears throat> fits in the same as this other guy. But this Tulowitzki was out. I mean, this guy got hurt running down to first base two years ago or three years ago. The he guy, was always hurt. He's been a stiff since yeah. he's been here. His, he's a declining asset. He did nothing. This guy's making $22 million a year. Now you've got a general manager trying to sell us on the fact this guy's still a premier shortstop when he's at best extremely average. And then all of a sudden, this guy, you know, this Tulowitzki shows up halfway through the season last year, calls his teammates out for not playing hard. And this guy showed up a week before training camp and decided to have bone spurs removed from his feet. So all of a sudden, but management keeps selling us on this. 
And all I can tell you is this. Deb and I had season tickets for nine years, and when during the bad years, we'd go to 50 games a year. And when they came in, and they got, the way they handled Alex Anthopoulos and Paul Beeston, and the moves they were making on the team, then they increased ticket prices 17% and said they were going to put the money into free agency, and then got a bunch of uh, retreads. We canceled our seats. Not one person from the Blue Jay organization ever called to find out why we canceled. I'll leave you off on that note. Um, we've got about 40 seconds left. And, uh, no, not at all, Sorry Mike. about that, but I had to get that uh, rant no, in absolutely. there about the season's tickets. Ne- ne- next Sunday's our fifth anniversary show. We've been on the air here at Zoomer Radio for five years, and we'll, we'll, we'll give as many thanks as we can next week. Mike, uh, you're here this week, and you've made such valuable contributions to our show. Uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Some of you have been following me on Facebook and on LinkedIn this week. I've been announcing the top 10 Naz and Wally shows of all time. Number 10 was the Coaches Show with Theismann, Scotty Bowman, and Leo Routens. Then we had the Melnick and Dick Pound Show, which was uh, which was an incredible one. Daryl Sittler in studio, the Gordie Howe Tribute Show with uh, Harry Neal, Dave Keon, and uh, and our Paul Henderson, Phil Esposito show. I promised I'd announce number five today. Our show from the Korea during the Olympics last year, Peter Mansbridge, Senator Nancy Greenrain, Elizabeth Manley, Naz, last word. Have a good week, everybody, and see you next week. We'll be back again next Sunday. Thanks so much. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.